Well, we're, we're uh, continuing our series, uh, taking us through the Gospel of John. It's kind of a longer series for us. It's going to run through the you know, beginning of the summer even. But it's a series titled, That You May Believe. And it's based on the reason the Apostle John told us that he wrote his Gospel. He, he wrote this, remember. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John, you you love clarity, right? Uh, We gathered as a staff uh, this week and and Pastor Brian was reflecting on a a phrase that he and Becky live by, which is, clarity is kind. Clarity is kind. The Apostle John was very kind because he made the purpose of his writing very clear. I'm writing this so that you all can believe that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. That you might trust him and have a whole new life in his name. That's the why. It's the why of the Gospel of John. It's the why of this series. So in this this series, we're holding in mind the idea of responding to Jesus in faith Responding to Jesus by trusting him with our, with our whole selves, right? That's what faith is, really. And today we'll read uh, the story of Jesus healing uh, the paralytic man at, at a pool in Jerusalem. It's from John chapter 5. And chap- chapter 5 opens kind of a new section in John's gospel. In previous messages, we talked about how Jesus in, in John's gospel shows up and he, he kind of confronts different aspects of Judaism. In in chapters 2, 3, and 4, he was talking about the institutions of Judaism. Now in chapter 5, he kind of turns toward the festivals. And the the biggest celebration, the biggest festival, most basic in Judaism was the weekly Sabbath. It was on that that everything else was built, right? So in the story today, listen for that. Uh, Listen for the Sabbath reference. Because the problem in the story isn't that Jesus healed uh, this fellow who had been paralyzed. The problem is that Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. So let's listen to the scripture. This is the word of the Lord from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, 
The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Well, the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Now stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Well, the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Well, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Megan. So, again, as we've kind of been saying through this series, all these stories in John's Gospel have a purpose of of revealing who Jesus uh, is, who he was, what he came to do. And there are other people involved in the stories, of course, like the invalid of today's story. But the point of the story isn't so much the healing as it is to reveal who Jesus is. So that's that's the primary focus. And Jesus is the one who makes us well and the only one who can. That's what scripture makes very clear. Now, while the focus isn't on the invalid, Jesus' interaction with him is really important in, in this passage. You've got to think, think about this guy, a, a paralytic for 38 years. Apparently, he could use his arms, so uh, he was paraplegic, had lost the use of his legs, And back in that day, as the scripture said, there was a pool uh, where those in need of physical healing would gather. Look at verse two. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. And the cards on the table here, this is kind of a scholarly best guess as to what the actual name of the thing is. It's not crystal clear in in the Greek. But uh, the background here is Bethesda means something. Uh, Bethlehem means something. Whenever you see uh, a name of a city like that in Hebrew, Bethlehem, the B-E-T-H part is Beit in Hebrew, and then whatever, which means house of, and then whatever comes next is the next part, like Beit Lehem, Bethlehem, Beit Lehem is house of bread. Bethesda, Beit Ezda, means house of flowing or moving water. And if, if, if you were here or listened to the message last week, you caught that distinction in Judaism between living water and still water. So living water comes from a spring, a river, uh, a, a, a creek, something like that, still water, pool, pond, cistern, something like that. Living water was considered to be the only kind of water that could be used in ritual purification that would make a worshiper clean. So this was a pool of bubbly water. So you can, you can play out the implications, right? This was a healing pool. This was a purifying pool. And, and around this pool, people gathered. So you can begin to piece together a, a little picture of this guy's life, right? His life consisted of making his way to and from the pool every day, 
We're not sure how he did that, but it was not uncommon for paraplegics to have pads on their hands and simply drag their lower body behind them as they scooted along. Maybe he had assistance. Uh, regardless, it was a big effort to get to the pool every day. At the pool, he spent most of his day begging for money to have just enough food to get by, all the while keeping an eye out, looking for the bubbly stuff to hop in the pool when it might heal him because people thought the bubbly stuff was caused by an angel coming down to touch the pool and stir it up. Thus, they thought it would have healing properties. And he kept looking for that bubbly stuff because that, that pool was his only hope. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? What kind of question is that? Of course he wants to get well. He's been paralyzed for 38 years. Who wouldn't want to get well? I mean, isn't the answer obvious, Jesus? At one level, it's absolutely obvious. But think on it for a moment at a different level. On another level, it's quite a good question. Do you want to get well? Because sometimes we don't want to get well if the truth be told. Sometimes we prefer to remain needy. Sometimes we get more attention as an invalid, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Sometimes it's harder to take responsibility for your own life to be a whole and healthy person who refuses to manipulate others to satisfy our own needs or scratch our own itch. Sometimes that's harder. And it's a lot easier to remain unhealthy. Right? Sometimes fears keep us from pursuing health. I can't remember the reference for this, but I was in the car, this was years ago, uh, listening to a, a radio interview with a Christian therapist, and he was sharing a story, and as I recall, he had gained permission, so he wasn't speaking out of bounds, but he was sharing anonymously about a woman he was counseling who had come in and kind of unpacked the details of her life, and she was living in a system of unhealthy relationships with a bunch of really unhealthy stuff I mean, it was, it, was, it was rough. Like, her situation was, was really hard. And, and after listening for a while, the counselor just said, man, it kind of sounds like you're living in hell. Why don't you move? You know, simply offering this idea of you don't have to stay in that place. You, you, you can end some of those relationships and move to a healthier place. To which she responded... Well, in hell, at least I know the names of the streets. <laughs> right? There it is. Uh, th there it is. Her, either her fear of change or her need for familiarity outranked her desire for health. That is possible in us. So it's a fair question to the paralyzed man at the pool and to us. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Notice the man didn't answer the question. He said, well, there's no one to help me. When, when I try to get into the pool, others jump in in front of me. Translated, it's not my fault, Jesus. Come on, if, if, if that guy would just give me a hand, I could get well. If, if she wouldn't cut in line, I, I could make it down to the pool and, and I'd be well. And you see this, right? 
You've done this. I have done this. Trying to push off on others, even if just a little, some responsibility for my life and my health. Beware of that. There's only one who makes us well, and his name is Jesus. Now, even though the man didn't answer, Jesus healed him anyway. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the man does it. Now, I know we have physicians and nurses in the room, maybe some physical therapists. So you medically-minded people, engage all of your knowledge on this one. 38 years. 38 years. No nerve signals traveling from here down to here. No uh, neuromuscular prompts to trigger these muscles to cause them to fire. Right? N none of that going on. I mean, that man's legs had to have atrophied down to the point where they looked like my wrists, and I'm a skinny little cross-country runner guy. He had tiny legs. So let's get our mind around what actually happened here. This was a regenerative, instantaneous miracle. In an instant, leg muscles grew to a size that would support this man's weight because they certainly weren't there before. In an instant, all of his neuromuscular pathways were restored. In an instant, what normally takes months and months of brain retraining, right? In an instant, his brain was retrained to know how to stand and balance and walk. Think of all the involuntary muscle movements that have to happen to keep one of us bipeds standing upright. It's unbelievable. We're not even thinking about it. It's just happening all the time automatically. In an instant, this guy was made well. And the point is, Jesus is the one who makes us well and the only one who can. Maybe you've been a spiritual invalid for 38 years or your whole life. The point here is that Jesus can make you well in an instant from no faith to standing and walking in faith in an instant. That is available to us. So with that clear, there's really only one question that remains. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? But the story from today doesn't end with that question. In fact, it begins with that question. The story goes on to show that warped religion is the greatest sickness of all. Look at this. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. And, and that was true. You know, back in Jesus' day, the, the oral rabbinic law outlined 39 categories of things that were considered work and thus forbidden on the Sabbath. And, quote, carrying something such as a bed from one place to another is prohibited. So, check, rule breaker, right? So the Jewish leaders, the, the religious leaders now, the spiritual leaders, the pastors, the elders, whatever, right? They said, to the man who had been healed instantaneously, miraculously regenerated, they said to that guy, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. 
I mean, talk about a grand adventure and missing the point, right? I mean, healed in dramatic, miraculous fashion in broad daylight, daylight and in public. Like, what? What's going on here? The, the spiritual leaders had become so, so, so something, so jaded, so self-focused, so oblivious, so unaware that they were more concerned with compliance to the add-on rules to Scripture than they were with the God of Scripture showing up in person to bring fullness of healing to this man. (laughs) Rather than celebrating the healing and planning a party, they reject the man and the healer. Because, you know, they, they, they broke the rules. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. Their hearts were bound by rules instead of relationships. They were so bound in obeying the letter of the law, they forgot the spirit of law, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul gets at in 2 Corinthians when he writes this, a new covenant, not the letter, but but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Not of the letter of the law, but of the spirit of God, right? Unfortunately, tragically, the good news of Jesus has often been Uh, conveyed and or heard as a message of you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. And faith in Jesus has been misunderstood to be a message of lifeless, rule-bound legalism rather than one of life-giving grace and freedom. The message of life-giving grace and freedom is the actual message of the Bible and everything else is a messed up, warped, tainted version of it. Right, the, the, the rule-bound, lifeless legalism. You can see that the point of this story, right in John's Gospel, is to confront that kind of religious understanding, that kind of toxic spirituality. Jesus goes straight at it. No, no beating around the bush. Right? It's a perversion of what God intends. And what's going on there is you've got kind of spiritual leaders who no longer show any real interest in God but are far more interested in the power they possess over others so as to control them. It's warped religion. Thus Jesus' question applies even more to those those spiritual leaders in, in asking This question, Jesus locks eyes with and calls out every highly religious but self-righteous and sharply critical person who sees the failings of others more than the ways God might be working in their lives. Can I say that again? In asking this question, Jesus locks eyes with and calls out every highly religious but self-righteous and sharply critical person who sees the failings of others more than the ways God might be working in their lives. And Jesus asks those highly religious people who are avoiding sin with all their heart and all their effort and think very highly of themselves, he asks those folks, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well. With the implication being, because you're sick, 
very, very sick. And there's only one who can make us well. That's what the last part of the passage is about. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You see, when Jesus asks you if you want to get well, which through his life, death, and resurrection, he has asked every human being everywhere. When Jesus asks you if you want to get well, there are really only three responses. Yes, please. Talk to the hand. And how dare you? Say yes, ignore him, or get offended. If there are more, please share them with me. The Jewish leaders were offended and became angry, even though a clear sign, a revelatory sign, had just been performed before them. They got angry. So Jesus defends himself by saying, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now, that made them even more irate, (laughs) right? But that's not the point I want to dwell on here. The point I'd like us to think about is all all the different ideas floating around out there about Jesus and who he really was and and is. I mean, almost everybody agrees that Jewish was a a first century Jewish preacher and religious leader that that really lived an actual, you know, physical human life. Uh, But beyond that, opinions diverge very quickly. I mean, some describe him as an exemplary human being worthy of imitating in his moral and ethical living. Uh, Some call him a charismatic leader who built one of the world's great religions. Some receive him as a qualified teacher, seek to apply the wisdom that he shared to their lives, believing that our lives will be better if we live by, by Jesus' wisdom. Some see him as a prophet, you know, sent from God, but not the son of God. This is, this is true of Islam. Uh, Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. But it's very clear, both here and throughout Scripture, that Jesus makes ultimate claims about himself. That this is a unique conversation, not because Christians say so, but because Jesus said so. My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. You know, implication being, uh, Jesus has a relationship with God the Father that goes beyond anything the world has ever seen. Is, is utterly unique, so much so that later in John, Jesus could say this, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's, that's why we keep reading the Bible, right? That's why we keep going back to the Gospels, to see how Jesus interacted with people, how he engaged, what, what he was like, because our understanding is as we get to know Jesus, we're getting to know God the Father, the creator of everything, you and me and the whole universe, See, it's the whole point. Remember the reason John wrote his gospel, that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Not not just that we might think highly of Jesus, that that we might have respect for Jesus. Not even that we would believe that what Jesus said about himself was true, as an intellectual kind of thing we hold in our head, 
I believe that check. Believe here in the, in the biblical text means rely upon, place your, your trust in. I've done this before and I almost pushed the organ over, but I'm, gonna, I'm at risk of my own, my own health. It, th- this is not faith. That's faith, right? This, if you take the organ away, no big. This, if you take the organ away, I'm going down. Right? That trust, putting your weight upon, relying upon, that's what we're talking about. That's why the Apostle John wrote this text that we just read. Now, you who know me know that I didn't grow up going to church and kind of explored the faith later in life. And um, my, my mind and heart were really captured by a little book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. Hugely important for me in my exploration of faith. Uh, If you've read that book, you should read it again. If you haven't read it, you definitely should pick it up and read it. Here's a piece that really challenged me, a rather famous quote. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish things that people often say about him, meaning Jesus, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. That's the talk to the hand reaction. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. That's the get offended reaction. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. We like to make faith complicated and easy when in fact it's simple and hard. The Bible is very clear. Jesus claimed to be God with us. It's an utterly unique claim, so unique that only three responses to Jesus are possible. He is one of these three, Lord, liar, or lunatic. It really is that simple. Three options, Lord, he was telling the truth about himself and was God. Liar, he was lying about himself and was not God. Lunatic, he believed he was telling the truth about himself but was deluded and was not God. There aren't any other options. His, his unique claims were so clear, and remember clear is kind, so clear that we must respond to them. And today I raise my hand with many here, many millions around the world to say that Jesus is Lord. Amen. He, not just because Christians say so. I mean, we've experienced something here with God. This is the real deal. 
Jesus is the one who makes us well and the only one who can. So, do you want to get well? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.